Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Howard, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you. And I'm happy to be here. We have a lot of downtime and... uh... Why don't we use it well? Absolutely. And I think just based on what's going on in the world, obviously, we have a a lot of good information to impart on our colleagues. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about COVID-19 and see what we can, what we have to offer. (laughs) Well, like you, like you with your podcast, uh, we with the uh, AAPMD, I've been doing a lot of webinars and the thing that people want to hear most about is, is covid which is something that none of us have experienced in our, a lifetime. I happen to be older, so uh, uh, I remember my parents telling me about the uh, Spanish flu of, of 1918. Actually, my mother lost one of her sisters uh, who was late teens in, as a result of the flu. Mm. And as a result of that, she always had this concern, wash your hands, don't touch anything. Uh, you you had to eat the right foods, you had to get enough sleep, because there was this fear that if you got sick, there wasn't anybody that was going to save you, that, that uh, you could die. So, so taking care of your health was your responsibility. And so uh, before I went to dental school, I was a history major. And so I love, love history. So looking at the history of, of medicine and dentistry, we went through that period of, of fear and then World War II came along and uh, we discovered penicillin. Penicillin changed the whole world of pharmaceuticals. Before penicillin, there were very few uh, drugs, nothing sold a, a lot. Farm, you went to a pharmacist and they took a mortar and pestle. And they, but two, fast forward, all these drugs got created for you name it. In fact, I'm, I'm just reading uh, COVID downtime provides a lot of uh, time for reading. I'm reading a book called Pharma, which is how the pharmaceutical industry grew. And so this is, we, there was this belief that if, no matter what happened, there would be a, a procedure or a medication that, that would solve that problem. And we became more or less reliant on, on, uh, on drugs. In fact, today when somebody goes to, uh, for a medical visit, first thing they do is they ask for the insurance card. It's, it's not about the care. It's about how, who's going to pay for it and how it's going to, going to be paid. So, so this is, we moved from a period of maybe a hundred years ago where there was fear that something could happen and, and threaten the lives of your life, the life of your family to this feeling like, well, things can't, things would never happen that would be bad. And if they happen, a medical system would, would take care of it. So what are the lessons that we've learned from our, our COVID experiences is one, that our healthcare system is very disorganized, that, that we have uh, government doesn't talk to the pharmaceutical industry and hospital systems, they don't talk to each other. So there's complete lack of, of, of coordination or to use my favorite word, collaboration. Uh, and, and now they're scurrying and, and, and now People from one state are sending masks to, to New York when they need it. And that's the way it should be. There should be more, more collaboration. And the other deficit of the COVID crisis was a lack of stockpiling, that we didn't put away things for the future. We didn't have enough masks. We didn't have enough ventilators. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't put away things for a rainy day. So how do we put this in terms of, of, my, of my thinking? because for about five years when we started this collaboration cures movement, that in order to provide optimal care and wellness, there needs to be collaboration. 
no one discipline, no one practitioner has all the answers. We often delude ourselves because we get somebody with a problem. Uh, you uh, or another myofunctional therapy do, do what you do. I can do, treat somebody's airway dentally, somebody, an integrated physician could treat somebody nutritionally and the patient will always get better. And we're happy, the patient's happy, but have we provided optimal care? Do we know what, uh, what other piece of the puzzle is missing? My analogy is to uh, a, a race car or any car. Car goes over a bump and the frame gets bent and the car doesn't ride properly. The tires wear out, you fix the tires or, or the, you fix the brakes, but it's still not right because you haven't gotten down to the core structural problem and, and, and treated that. So that's one area is, is uh, collaboration. The second area is stockpiling. What we need to do is stockpile our internal resources, the things that will make our immune system better. We have this incredible immune system that protects us. It works 24 seven, never even talks to us, never asks us uh, for anything, doesn't ask for a pay raise, doesn't ask for a, a, a vacation, it, it, it works. And it's not a question of our immune system fighting a, a problem, it's fighting it correctly. You don't want it to, it to underreact and you don't want it to overreact. Uh, and, and, um, and it has two stages, which everybody's probably heard about. One is the innate immune, immune system, which as soon as it recognizes uh, an enemy, it will respond. And then when it learns what that particular uh, attacking agent is, it develops an adaptive immune system where it, where it responds secondarily. So one of the problems with COVID is it's not the disease that gets you, it's the immune system, it's our immune system is overreacting. Uh, it keeps sending out troops, more troops than is needed. You know, uh, there's a drunk on the corner you don't need to send out an army. You could send out one police car and tell them to go home. But our, sometimes our immune system doesn't work like that. So why is it important to, to us? Is because uh, all the things that we do, all the people who are in our collaboration, who are really interested in getting down at the cause of the problem, are have the ability to make the immune system better. Not necessarily stronger, but it's called modulating the immune system. So it, it mounts to appropriate response to whatever is, is going on. Uh, there's a great interview with a public health doctor. His name is uh, David Katz, who talked about how we, we don't look at these chronic diseases because uh, how our immune system fails or doesn't respond is related to all the chronic diseases we have. You may not know how many cases of, of diabetes we have in our country, 122 million people. They say by 2040, 50% uh, of the people in this country will, will uh, either be diabetic or pre-diabetic. You had cardiovascular disease, um, dementia and cognitive loss and other things. These are all related to chronic inflammation and, and, and our immune system. The problem with that is the harm that occurs, the risks that occur going back to childhood, you don't see the problem until decades later. And when you don't see it, you can't connect it. And, and, and so, you know, try to tell a kid that, you know, you, if you, the, the things you take care of today will pay dividends tomorrow. They, they don't want to hear it. I, I didn't want to hear it when I was that age. But now with COVID, you get sick and 80 or more percent of the people have no effect. They, they don't even know they had it. They walk around, uh, maybe they feel sick for a day, and there are the other people, the aged, the sick, and those with comorbidities. And what are the comorbidities? The same ones we just talked about. Uh, they're the ones who are at risk and, and die. I think uh, 80 or 90% of people who go on ventilators uh, ultimately uh, die. And, and uh, so one of the lessons is we have the power 
to to change your immune system, and and it, and really starts in childhood, because every stress that that is put into our body that we come across, we have to adapt or maybe not adapt, we compensate for. And, and every compensation pays a price. And, and so that this gives us the opportunity to, one, look how we really all connected and work better together. Uh, and two, work together to stockpile our resources, our internal resources, so that our immune system is ready for whatever attack comes along. You know, and then there's talk that maybe we haven't exercised our immune system enough. Uh, in the Amish country, where uh, the mothers take their young babies into the barn while they milk the cows and the babies sit on the floor of the barn, they have almost no autoimmune diseases in, in their population. So maybe we're, we're not, we're, we're being overprotective. These are, these are things we have to, to look at. So. I'm optimistic because it's a terrible thing. You know, the news is terrible. What do we do? How do we get people back to functioning? Because the now we're beginning to see the problems of people being out, out of work, not having money to buy the right food, uh, the stress that it causes, and people begin to lose sleep. Now we don't know the, the, uh, the problems caused by the, I think everybody has COVID, whether you have the disease or you suffer from the, uh, the, the uh, spread of, of whatever's happening about disease, everybody's affected by it uh, one way or another. So that's my, my little COVID uh, background. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you can sort of resonate with this uh, a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, obviously, I would absolutely agree that everybody has been affected in one way or another, whether it's health-wise or the mental health, the stress, I mean, obviously that's health too, um, the financial burden, just the new normal that everybody's experiencing right now. But I think that what it comes back to and what we've really been trying to focus on over here is still that patient-centered care for the people in our practice and just reaching out to everybody we know, you know, to check in on everybody and make sure from a mental health standpoint, you know, in addition to physical health, um, immune, immune, immune system health, we should everybody is affected and it's going to take a toll one way or another. And the faster we can get back to whatever our new normal is, the better. <laughs> um, but what is, what is your take on that in terms of return to some sense of what everyone considers normalcy or new normalcy? Well, there, there, there will be a, a, a new normal. And I think that uh, um, certainly from, I can talk from the dental dental perspective, that I think that those people who, who look at more of the, of the total health mm -hmm. of, of will be uh, will thrive better in this in in this world. You know what we we've started calling our patients and we ask them a question like, how likely are you to come into a, for an appointment? Some say, as soon as you're open, I'm ready to come in, and some other people say, maybe a year, but. Uh, but I'm not even leaving my house for a year, let alone going to dental office. And the, um, the CDC uh, said, don't go to the dental office unless it's emergency, because that, that could be the most dangerous place to be with all the aerosols sp spraying around. So now uh, what we've done in the last uh, weeks is uh, dental offices generally have open rooms with, with no doors. We put doors on all the rooms. We put HEPA filters in, in all the treatment rooms. We have um, defoggers using hypochlorous acid that they use in uh, emergency rooms. We have, uh, we, have got, we have shields over our masks. And, you know, and then we looked at, do you have a level two, a level three, an M95, what mask? Uh, the, uh, M95 masks, which were a dollar or less, and now some companies are selling them for six, eight, eight dollars. Um, if you can get them, what do you, what, what, what can you do? Um, and they say maybe dental hygienists won't be able to use their, their ultrasonic cleaner. Uh, so, so what, what can you do? So one of the things we, we talked, and then the other issue, I mean, if, if you ever think about a dental office, dentist is working, hygienist is working with patients, says, 
I need to have an exam. So the dentist has to get up and go in and do the exam. So now that we're gowned and gloved and shielded and, and uh, we have to take us off our stuff, go into the hygiene room, regown, reglove, do the exam, and then go back and, and reverse it, which is uh, time consuming um, using supplies. So one of the suggestions is the hygienist takes all the information, takes photos, does a little video of the mouth, um, even can do a recording of what's bothering the patient, records all that data, dentist never goes in and goes back later and on a Zoom call does, a, uh, does the examination there. So, uh, so, well, you know, we don't know how that'll work. On the one hand, you know, maybe the patient may say, you know, I didn't see the dentist. It's, I just had the hygienist, but hygienist is spending an hour with the patient. Dentist runs in for f five minutes, maybe, and is in a, thinking about getting back to the other room where they were working, talks to the patient with their mouth open, asks them questions while they're examining them. It might be a much better experience if you're sitting facing somebody like I'm facing you mm -hmm. and I can put up all your x-rays and that might be a better uh, educational moment because uh, the goal isn't to have people come in for repair. The goal is to make people not need you. If you're a good doctor, you should, you should have struggle having patients because everybody you see, uh, you help them, them get better. And so the other thing they're talking about is uh, what we call self-profi, uh, self where you teach people how to take care of their own teeth rather than uh, having to uh, come in because, you know, traditionally, and again, because I'm older, I remember the history of what went on. You go to the dentist twice a year to have your teeth cleaned. If, you, if you're not doing a good job, then you go three times a year. And if you're not doing a good job, you go four times. And if you're really not doing a good job, they have you come in, you know, and the definition of insanity is, keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and hope you get a different result. So, um, so, so uh, what we do in our practice, we have a microscope and we look at the, the, the bacteria in the mouth and how that's affecting uh, the body and, and looking at things that, that are related to it. So one of the interesting things uh, about periodontal disease, one of the bacteria that causes periodontal disease uh, causes platelet clumping. Platelet clumping makes your blood thicker it makes you more pr pr prone to blood clots. What is one of the real damaging factors of COVID? Blood clots. Uh, and so th there could be a, a tie into that. And uh, uh, so they just looking at periodontal disease, and we'll get to airway in a moment, is maybe dentistry is more essential than, than uh, uh, the government claims. Because I can, I, I, can, I can fly to Georgia and get a tattoo. I can go to a, a spa somewhere. Uh, I, all the liquor stores are open. And uh, I think that, that those of us who are doing dentistry or, or myofunctional therapy or, or nutrition are really a lot more essential. But somehow along the way, we, got, we, got, we lost our way. So, um, so those are the challenges of, of what we're going to do. And when, it's an interesting story. So we have to wear these face shields in order to avoid splatter, and but but we wear these magnifying glasses that uh, that uh, help us see better, and the shield won't fit against the glasses. No. So my my son uh, Jeff, who uh, I'm, I'm lucky, I work with my son and daughter-in-law. He uh, rides motorcycles, so he got shields that they use for motorcycle helmets that are offset a little bit that provide enough room uh, between the. Uh, in the face and the mask. So, as I said before, this is a terrible times. You can either sit and wring your hands and say, woe is me, I hope that something will happen. Or you say, all right, what's gonna be different about the world? P people are gonna realize government, that my medical system is not gonna take care of me. I have to um, take better charge of my health. I have to seek out those practitioners who are gonna be part of my team. And I'm gonna establish a team of what, what I need. I know that you work with um, surgeons and other people in orthodontists in your area because you realize the importance of, of a collaborative team. You know, somebody asked me what the defin definition of collaboration is. 
And somebody says, well, I'm taking care of a patient and this patient, and no matter what I do for them, isn't working out. And I'm sitting, how do I get them out of my office and send them to somebody else? Who can I collaborate with? Well, that's not really collaboration. That's sort of offboarding. Collaboration is at the very uh, beginning of treatment, as you're having that initial visit, that initial interview saying, who should be on this person's team? Who do I need? What are my resources for, for this patient? Because if you establish that at the beginning, the patient is much more motivated. They're excited because you've, you've, you're doing something that nobody else has done for them before. If you do it later, then they're already discouraged that the, the, the results they expected to get, even though you may not have promised them, but even if you don't promise them, they believe that, they, that, you, that you're going to satisfy their, their every need. But putting together a team and having a way to communicate is, is, is really important. Um, so then uh, we should talk about airway and physiology. Yes, so, let's talk about airway. Let's talk about air. So um, are, you, are you a member of the IAOM? I am, yes, I'm certified through them. Okay, so uh, a, a number of years ago when uh, they were at a meeting, one of our meetings, they said, you know, you're not really giving us enough attention. I said, but it's in your bylaws that you can't talk about airway. That was about maybe five, six years ago. Oh, yeah. And, and um, I thought they would go away and never uh, come back. But then six months later, uh, they called and they said, we changed our bylaws. I'd like you to come to our meeting. And 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 it's great because the, the uh, group of... Uh, People in that organization are, are fantastic. They, uh, they, they're trained, they're tested, and if you're certified, people should know that you have jumped through hoops in order to get your, your certification. Uh, and uh, so airway is essential. Uh, what we look at is how do we get people to, to, to breathe and, and, and keep their airway open because, because uh, the number one thing that people want, number one physiological function is to breathe. Yeah. Uh, our physiology, our nervous system is monitoring the way we are breathing every single uh, second, every fraction of a second. That if, if we have uh, less air than we need, the heart beats a little bit faster, blood pressure goes up. Uh, we measure something called heart rate variability, which measures uh, uh, heart interbeat heart rates. Uh, so that if, if your heart rate is, let's say 60, you would think it's one beat a second, but it's not. It could be 1.1 second, 0.9 seconds. It's that variability that shows you're healthy. Variability shows resilience the ability to adapt to things. Uh, if, we're, if, we, if you look at posture, if I bend over to get something, I don't fall over because as soon as my, the thought occurs to me, my brain says, these muscles have to tighten, these muscles have to relax. And instantaneously, more blood is sent to those muscles that need to be tight, only those muscles, which is fantastic and never consults us. It, it happens. Right. What I learned some years back is while I am concerned about how people get the air in, people who deal with speech deal with how the air comes out. Because without the exhalation of air, you can have no, you can have no speech. And, uh, and, uh, and then the other thing we look at is, is, is uh, from a dental perspective, the airway is affected by if the tongue sits too far back in the mouth. Well, when you think about our tongue, it has to be one of the most incredible things because what's it involved with? It's involved with breathing. It's involved with speech. It's involved with uh, swallowing um, and a little bit with uh, facial e expressions. So imagine somebody who has an airway problem because when we talk, we don't say, I better stop talking for a second so I can breathe. We figure out how to pause and create pauses so that we can breathe. People who have an airway problem um, have 
their speech changes. They have more pauses in their, in, in their speech. Uh, if they have a swallowing problem, speech, um, breathing and swallowing will come first, then speech will come later. So, uh, so, so back in those years, like those years ago, I didn't understand how speech language pathologists really weren't looking at, at airway and, and breathing, which you know, or maybe you're young, you may not remember back then. Uh, but now it's, it's, it's so essential to, to, uh, to teaching people how to speak well, because if, if you don't deal with an airway problem, then, uh, then uh, you, you're not dealing with the whole problem. I was telling you before we went on the, this podcast about this great na nasal breathing summit that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago where we had uh, speakers from around the world. Um, and uh, one of our speakers was this ENT doctor from uh, Massachusetts, Peter Catalano, who is fantastic, uh, has written some papers. He works with an orthodontist in, uh, in Boston, John Walker. And they're doing nasal surgery on young kids, or nose jobs on young kids. If they see that there's a nasal obstruction in young kids, they'll go in with a laser and, and, um, and reshape it or, or trim the bone or, or things that have to be done. And, uh, and he'd been doing it for a couple, couple of years because sometimes you can't get expansion of the arches if there's a, a nasal breathing problem. You know, we were all very attuned to the importance of nasal breathing, production of nitric oxide, and there is there are some papers that show nitrous oxide reduces the viral load. They they haven't shown it for the COVID two, but certainly for COVID one, it, it shows that it reduces the nasal load. So breathing nasal breathing is really important. Um, if you don't have good nasal breathing, you're not going to get good maxillary expansion because because uh, if you're not getting air through your nose, your brain's going to say, I don't need it. It's not doing me any good. So I'm going to try to get more volume in my, uh, through my mouth and build these nice vaulted cathedral ceilings. And, and so they've been going in and doing surgery on these young kids where appropriate and fantastic results. So he said the most amazing thing was about six months ago, Ago, he got a uh, email from a father of a patient whose kid was autistic, and uh, within a couple of days after after the nasal surgery, his autism started. It reversed. The kid is now complete. It's completely gone. Wow! Since that time, and he wasn't treating autism. It wasn't. He was. Ju he was just looking for nasal blockages. But since that time, he has had three. Five other children, I think it's five, two or three with autism and two with really bad ADD. Nothing else was done but doing the nasal surgery, oh, nasal surgery and doing the rapid palatal ex expansion. So, uh, you know, you say, well, you don't do nose jobs on, on young kids uh, because you wait until they get older or, uh, and, and it's more for, uh, for aesthetics. They used to say you don't do orthodontic treatment on, on on young kids. You wait till all the all the baby teeth fall out and they're uh, they're teenagers. So uh, where do these rules come from? Somebody made them up, and 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 then they are up are uh, they continue because the the heads of all the organizations that teach you say these are the rules. Now you go and you. No, you don't follow the rule. So uh, becoming more certified tends to uh, make sometimes make you more narrow in, in your thinking. Uh, so, uh, so I think that's really exciting about the what they're doing with nasal surgery. And uh, um, so, in our office, we refer to a myofunctional therapist almost every day. That. that uh, uh, one way I could look at it is to say is, you know, all of a sudden I'm getting all these people with myofunctional problems that I don't know where they came from, or maybe it's because you're looking at things with, uh, with, with new eyes. 
a number of years ago, we gave a talk at NYU Dental School, and the uh, one of the professors from the pediatric dental department was there. Uh, wonderful guy in practice, 35 years. Uh, very busy practice, never looked at airway problems. The next time we saw him six months later, he said, I can't tell you, I, I'm looking, I never knew there were, I never looked at tonsils. I am sending people to PD, back to the pediatrician, uh, back to, uh, to ENTs, having sleep studies done every day. I can't, I'm so upset of who I may have missed in 35 years of practice. And I said, you know, you can't be blamed for not doing what you don't know. But once you know it, now you're responsible for it. Absolutely. And, and so, and so uh, I think that, uh, I mean, we could chat about stuff like this forever, but I think the important thing is that uh, this information needs to be, be shared and spread. It needs to be spread with our, our colleagues. Uh, we have to be less insular. We have to be less isolated. We have to go out and, and learn more, not only about what, what we do so we can do our part of the job better. We need to know what other, other practitioners can do. I mean, we, we work with myofunctional therapists. We work with physical therapists that, uh, when we talk about the autonomic nervous system, we are getting information from our internal body and our external body every fraction of a second. That, that we, how do we know where our body ends and the rest of the world begins? We, we get input from our eyes, from our ears, from our teeth, from our tongue, from our hands, from our feet, just, just uh, feeling the ground beneath us. We can make an oral appliance and change the way somebody walks. We, we can uh, uh, make an oral appliance and change the way somebody sees. Somebody can put on glasses with prisms and, and, they can, and it, it'll change the way they bite or, or the way they walk. Uh, somebody can put different uh, lifts in their shoes. It can change the way they see. Everything is, is so connected and, and uh, you, that if you can identify that from the very beginning, you know who needs to be on your team. I say, if a dentist walks into the room to greet their patient, they are missing a lot of, a lot of information. They should watch them walk down the hall, how they walk, how they sit, you know, do they cross their legs? Do they cross, always cross one leg over the other? Uh, do they always, when they look at you, they tilt their head to the side. There's so much information. And the way people have certain posture will determine how the jaws and the arches develop. Uh, the arches develop, then their tongue will be off to, to, to one side, which will affect their, their speech. So I think I, I, hopefully I gave you more questions than answers. Which is which was my goal? Yeah, no, this has been this has been amazing. I mean, you've given us a lot of good information, and you're preaching to the choir, right? This is what I do every day. I have an amazing collaborative team. Um, we're very thankful that the the Natural Dentist Associates, um, which is our holistic dentist that we work with, and um, James Ryan, who's the oral surgeon that, that I also work very closely with. Um, and I work with others in the area too, but they are two of my primary go-tos for my my dentist and oral surgeon. They're very holistic and um, Dr. Tipograph and Dr. Bear at Natural Dentist Associates, they do everything you described. You know, I won't go back through it because you already mentioned it, but <clears throat> we put my daughter Lily into an ALF at just under four years of age. She was about to turn four and that was last August and to see the tremendous growth and the change and the fact that when they assessed her, they watched her walk down the hall. They took a video of her walking towards them. They took videos of everything to see you know, we say it, it changes everything from the tongue to the toes. And on that team, we've got the PTs who do modern counter strain technique. And I'm also in a DNA myself. And so I've noticed um, firsthand how having those adjustments in office from the PT who's doing the modern counter strain technique allows my maxilla to continue to move and expand. And because I have 
a partially turned in maxilla on one side. Um, it's just, it's been amazing. It's amazing to see how that holistic team really works together. Like you said, from day one, not just when we hit a wall, but everybody needs to be in place day one. We need to have that functional evaluation. Everybody on the team needs to know what piece of the puzzle they're, you know, playing into that patient's role and, or what role they play in that patient's case. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been really amazing to see it both as a mother, but also as a practitioner. Um, and as a patient, I've been able to play all three of those roles. So I love how this whole, you know, the collaboration that you speak of is a, that's a big, <laughs> a big thing I talk about constantly on the podcast. You know that if, if it was only me talking to you, I probably wouldn't be doing this, but I know that there might be uh, other practitioners who will hear this. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and members of the public, because when I talk about collaboration and building a team, the patient is part of that team. They're not, yes. you don't do something to or for a patient, you do it with them. They, they need to be an active participant. And when some people enter this world of better airway and breathing, they may not do it through a practitioner. They may say, you know, let me go and get one of these nasal dilators, like a, a mute or something, or, or, you know, let me try taping my mouth or, or something that uh, we live in a generation where people don't, aren't running to, to practitioners. They're, they're trying more home rem, remedies. Mm -hmm. uh, they may even try a over-the-counter sleep appliance, which, uh, which is fine because anyway, they say, you know, I am noticing if I'm breathing better, I I'm feeling better. Let me then take the, the next, next step. So, so the, and there's no one, one treatment that, that works for, for everybody. And, 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 and knowledge is important. Um, my daughter is an acupuncturist, cranial psychotherapist. Great. She, she basically works with uh, um, mothers and babies before, during, after birth. She, she does cranial sacral therapy on one week old babies. And you can see the difference in, in, the, in the way they, they nurse. When she had her first child um, and she was breastfeeding uh, Mackenzie, everything was fine, no problem. It took maybe half hour or whatever. Then she had a second child, five minutes, he was done. <laughs> she never, and, and she never realized that when she was nursing her first child, that there was some problem and it turned out that, that she had, she developed a narrow arch and and, uh, and and then we put her in some early expansion uh, at like age three with, with some cranial sacral work. But it, she said, I'm smart. I know this stuff. And I, I never thought, she said, I wouldn't have known that my breastfeeding wasn't, wasn't what it should be until I had had my second child and had something to compare it to. So getting this information out not necessarily so you can promote your practice and getting people in, just sharing information so people can can be healthier. And and as I said at the beginning, teaching them teaching them how to take care of themselves is, is really the important thing. You know, that that uh, ideally we should be so successful that we have no patience. But it won't happen in don't be afraid because it won't happen in our lifetime. Yeah, no, I, and I know you have patience to get back to, so I won't keep you too long, but um, that was the whole point of this podcast. It's funny because I went to look for it as a mom who went through that same experience as, you know, your daughter and um, with my first one, not knowing it was an issue until I had my second, but also until Lily was already two and I looked under her tongue after getting my certification in orofacial myology and went, holy cow, she has a tongue and a lip tie and I was turned away by all these practitioners. So there was the passion project behind it and educating other moms and practitioners, but there was also the fact that I went to look for this podcast and nobody had created it yet. And so I said, we need something that talks about myo and airway and tethered oral tissues. And since this is the nose dive that I've taken, like I said, as a mom, who's a, a mom to these kids, the patient who's going through adult expansion after orthodontic relapse and the practitioner who is treating everything from feeding therapy with babies to myofunctional therapy, you know, as well across the lifespan, this has this information needs to get out there, and so that's that was what birthed this podcast in uh, in July of 20, what, 2019. <laughs> Let me tell you one more story about a patient, and then yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so uh, 
there's a patient who came in to see us. Uh, she's in her 50s and through a divorce, a lot of stress, and her developed terrible um, pain. She works in an office, not in the same building as us. And and um, one of her colleagues, one of her, her, her teammates brought her in and said, um, you can fix her. So so we, we just injected a, the trigger point and, and relaxed her muscle spasms, but she had a TMJ problem. And uh, we said, but he said, you know, you have a very narrow arch. Her molar distance between her upper first molars was 23 millimeters, which was, we know it should be 38 to 40 millimeters. And she had an incredible tongue tie. And so we said, all right, you know, we have to release that tongue tie because that probably contributed to developing this narrow watch. But how can you learn to play, put your tongue in the right place when your arches are narrow? So what do you do? What do you do first? You know, so, so uh, we had, uh, got to see a myofunctional therapist to learn the exercise, which she couldn't do because she had no place to put her tongue. And then we said, we're going to, we're going to do make, make an expansion appliance, but it didn't fit. So we had to put, instead of putting it with one screw, we had to put two mini screws in just so we could make it wide enough so we could get a bigger appliance in, in order to do that. And then we got her to about um, 30 over a period of maybe less than, yeah, 30, 35 millimeters, which is tremendous. Now she had a little bit more room. And um, and then we, we had, a, she went and had a, a tongue tie release, and uh, which was videotaped and everything just relaxed at the time, uh, at the time, and it was like a, a miracle. Uh, she continued to do her exercises, but had some more stress in her life and then didn't necessarily follow them. Things scarred down a little bit. And then, she, and then the next thing that happened is she said, my tongue is all over the place. I don't know where to, what to do with it. It, it, it. And because she had, she still didn't have enough expansion in her molar area, but she had more room in the front. So it kept coming forward. And, and, uh, and, and then we were orthodontically trying to close her anterior open bite, but couldn't because her, her tongue, which was now looser, was, was causing a problem. Um, and uh, now we're looking at sending her for nasal surgery because she has a really bad deviated septum. And the part in the side she can't breathe on is actually the side that she has a TMJ problem, which we always find that the side where your nasal breathing is poorer is the side that, that you have the problem on. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of times when you use a, uh, an ALF or, uh, or an expansion appliant and one side expands more than the other, you should look at the, whether there's a, a difference in the nasal breathing. That could affect how things are expanding more one way or another. But, but the point is that even when you know the parts you want to put together, the sequencing of it is important. Uh, and it's so much better if you find out what, what, what you're missing at the beginning than to try to figure out, all right, why isn't this working? So can I give you my sales pitch? Absolutely, go for it. <laughs> so it said on my little instructions that uh, I can promote one thing. So. So I'm you can promote, promote too. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I have I'm involved in two organizations. One is uh, the uh, AAPMD, the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry, and it's a membership group of professionals where, if you are concerned about airway and breathing, whether you're a physician, dentist, myofunctional therapist, nutritionist, chiropractor. Um, Anyone, you are you have an equal seat at the table because everybody has something. And the goal is um, to learn how to network together so that we, ha we have courses about everything. We have a meeting scheduled in uh, November. We have no idea what's going to happen in November. It's in, in Seattle. And uh, it was originally going to be for three days. We, we've added a day. And one of the features we've added to that is we're going to have a whole day put on by Sagi from the Breathe Institute. Uh, it's called Outlook. I'm going to talk about the latest research, and uh, we're going to have people come and and um, submit research projects they, they would like like to do. 
So we have things for uh, every practitioner, but we have uh, modules where d different practitioners talk about how they work together. So, uh, so, so that, that's great. And then we develop, you might be interested in this, uh, Leili Narush, who uh, manages uh, uh, Dr. Zaghi's office, uh, and, he, and she's a board member of our AAPMD, put together AAPMD liaisons, forming study groups within different areas in order to help promote, uh, promote the message. So that's AAPMD, people can join uh, AAPMD.org and maybe you put that up on a- Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes so that they, uh, they have access to that link. And then tell us also about airwayhealth.org. Okay, so then, then the, so, the second organization is the Foundation for Airway Health. Um, we thought when we when we uh, formed the APMD, this was going to change the world. You know, I, I have I don't have lofty goals. I just want to change the world. Uh, but we realized that it's not practitioners who are going to change the world. You know, the vast majority of orthodontics don't even look at airway, uh, and, and they will change when nobody will go to them. The, and and the people won't go to them if they learn how important airway is. And so the, we formed, we said we need to get a, 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 mobilize the public and get them to get behind this and, and learn to be wise healthcare consumers to take charge of their health. So we, we formed the foundation for airway health, which is really for the, for the public. Uh, we have uh, things called white flag events where we try to bring different people together. One, one white flag event, we had 23 people representing different orthodontic philosophies, all who had seven minutes to tell us why their philosophy was best. And, what, and at the end of the day, what could we agree on that airway was important? That, that they may not like each other or may think their appliance is better, but they all believe that airway is important. And if there was only one appliance that worked, then there wouldn't be all these other uh, options. And and I would always I always say that to uh, what we say is, if you go to somebody who only has one tool in their toolkit, you know you can put in you can put a screw in the wall with a hammer. It doesn't necessarily mean that would be good. So the foundation for airway health, there is no membership fee. Anybody, any practitioner, can go on the foundation for airway health say that I want to be an, an airway advocate, they can fill out their, their information and they can be listed as a resource seeking for people seeking care because we get visitors all the time who are looking for somebody in the neighborhood. They don't know how to find somebody. Uh, so we want to educate the consumer, raise awareness, provide education, and then provide resources because if airway is important, which it is, Everybody has the right to a better airway. Uh, not everybody can afford, you know, ALF and DNA are expensive treatment. Mm -hmm. um, what about somebody from a lower socioeconomic group? How do you deal with them? When you say, well, you know, you could have a better airway, but you don't have the money to afford it. We were in, we were in Washington, D.C. We met with, there are five U.S. congressmen who were dentists. We met with them to try to get them to, to to try to put programs in place. So, how would you deal with with uh, with uh, somebody uh, who's economically challenged? Early intervention, because you can get a a three year old put an expander in that, and then their bones are like mush. They just move. You, you get you you recognize that. You uh, get expansion. So, uh, we encourage you to. Become a, a member of the AAPMD. Get yourself listed on the Foundation for Airway Health, uh, and be active. Be active in your community. Not if if you have a successful practice, you owe it to the world to get out into your community when it's safe. You don't have to do it now. When it's safe, get out into your community. Encourage others to uh, to seek help. You know there are there are community groups. There are churches. There are synagogues. There are parent groups. They love information. Everybody can be a speaker. We will train anybody to be a speaker. We will, we will give you a slideshow for this. We wanted, to, we wanted to change the world, but we can't do it without you and all the people like you. 
And that's, that's my sales pitch. I love it. And that's great. And I, you know, I did join um, the airwayhealth.org, uh, I think it was last summer, and I was looking at the AAPMD to join last night. Um, as I was reading through our, our uh, pre-show notes, and it's it's definitely needed. It's been very well received also by our early intervention um, speech pathologists and OTs. I've gone and I've spoken to them about, as well as Walter Reed, which I live across the street from, I was able to go and do a whole, you know, talk on just airway and myofunctional disorders and how we pre-screen, how do we, what do we look at in the birth to three population? What can we do for them now? We don't want to wait till they're six to nine years of age when most of the traditional orthodontists in the area will expand them. We want to know what, how can we help them now? Well, I think what we, what we don't realize is that when, once we become smarter and we know all this stuff, how many people don't know anything? <laughs> yes. You know, that, that uh, yeah. you know, uh, you, you tell somebody, you know, you have a tethered frenum. What's a frenum? <laughs> You know. What do you mean that thing I'm under my tongue? I thought that was normal. Or, oh, I thought snoring was normal. Or, oh, I thought, well, no, uh, it's, it's common, but it's not normal. <laughs> you know you have a narrow arch. What's an arch? Uh-huh. That, yeah. that we assume things. Yes. And, and, and then, and, and what's the first thing that happens when somebody doesn't know something? They shut up and they don't ask a question. Because right. uh, paper, people are afraid of saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but every one of us, lived in a time where we didn't know. Yeah, and there's always more to learn. So, and that's, yeah. we constantly encourage everybody on the podcast to be okay with saying, I don't know, and seek that information and, you know, keep growing. I really enjoyed our time together. I do have to run off and, uh, and uh, see an emergency. And, well, thank you, Howard. It's gonna take me the next 10 minutes to change and put on my all my protective <laughs> gear. And, uh, and uh, so thank you very much and, uh, uh, I look forward to seeing you at a meeting somewhere once it's safe in the world. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes, um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 